Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. Really hoping to see you tonight at Hopcat in Midtown Detroit. I'll be there with WDET's news director, Jerome Vaughn, and other WDET staffers from some tr- for some trivia and talk before the Democratic debate again tonight at Hopcat in Midtown. You can sign up at WDET.org slash events, and you can show up around 7 o'clock. I believe the debate is getting started right around 8 o'clock. But before then, you've got, again, that opportunity to maybe win some prizes and have some fun with me and Jerome and the rest of the WDET staffers who will be there. Last time we did this, it was a lot of fun, and I think it's much more easy sort of to take in those debates when you're with a lot of people that are there to have fun. And, uh, you know, because it's been a lot of debates so far. But today on the show, it's been one of the most hated policies on the books in America. NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, ratified in 1994 and trashed ever since. It's one of the things that has propelled Donald Trump into the White House. His premise to get rid of and replace NAFTA was one of his favorite talking points on the campaign trail, especially in manufacturing states like Michigan, which he narrowly flipped from blue to red. Now, he can claim to have kept that promise with the signing of the U.S.-Mexico Trade Agreement, or USMCA. In reality, it's still NAFTA. Some call it NAFTA 2.0, but it's really the same framework with a few updates and a couple provisions meant to protect workers. But the rebranding has garnered bipartisan support, while also splitting Democrats who disagree about whether it goes far enough to protect U.S. jobs and protect the climate. Today, I'll speak with two Democratic members of Michigan's congressional delegation, one who voted for USMCA and one who voted against it. And I'll speak with an economist from Michigan State University about whether about what free trade has actually meant for the economy, especially here in Michigan, since the dawn of NAFTA. Today, I want to start, though, with one of our members of Congress here in southeast Michigan. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell is a Democrat from Dearborn, representing representing Michigan's 12th congressional district. She supported USMCA when it came up for a vote uh, late last year. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, welcome to Detroit Today. It is wonderful to be with you. So and happy Punchki Day. Yes, happy Punchki Day. Absolutely. It's one of the best days of the year here in Southeast Michigan, I would say. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about uh, USMCA throughout the hour today. Um, first of all, I want to I hear you explain exactly what has changed with UMC, USMCA compared to what we saw with NAFTA. So I always call the new bill that we passed NAFTA 2.0 mm-hmm. because I think people get confused by the change in title. NAFTA 1.0 devastated the state. We have factories that are empty still to this day, right around, drive along I-94, and you see them. We're still trying to repurpose them. Willow Run uh, is another famous site. Uh, it shipped, NAFTA resulted in jobs being shifted to Mexico. Uh, it's very difficult for a worker in this country to compete uh, with wages of $350, $450 an hour. And so what we needed to do was to even the playing field for our workers. It's not perfect. It's not going to bring those jobs back. But I think it will. it was strong enough that it will stop the outsourcing that we've been seeing for more than two decades. Uh, it will raise wages of workers in Mexico 
So it started to give us a level playing field. It attacked environmental standards so that we in this country ensure that our workers are working in safe working places, have a number of environmental regulations that we have to comply with. It's not leveling the playing field so that Mexican workers have to meet those same kind of standards that are the workplaces that our American workers are working. In a little bit, we're actually going to hear from uh, Congressman Andy Levin from Michigan, uh, who was one of four members of Michigan's congressional delegation that voted against the USMCA uh, update to NAFTA. Um, In a statement, he writes, uh, the end result will be continuing lack of freedom and power for Mexican workers and thus artificially low wages. That means middle class jobs will continue to leave this country and we will continue to feel downward pressure on wages. Uh, Additionally, every trade deal agreed to by the United States must address climate change as a top priority. The USMCA does not even mention that um, and does nothing to slow the warming of our planet in this pivotal moment. Let's take those two criticisms one at a time, first starting with wages. Uh, You and he disagree on what this will mean for wages. Well, the other thing that the uh, new NAFTA bill does is to increase the content, the Mm -hmm. U.S. content and vehicles being made. Look, Andy and I worked very closely together uh, on this agreement, it was a very difficult decision. I've been part of the trade team uh, that has led the opposition to ne- needing a new NAFTA. I've done that since I came to Congress. I led the effort to defeat the TPP. Ultimately, Rosa DeLora, myself, a uh, number of others really struggled about how to vote in the end. But our workers need to have a fair playing field. And if we didn't do something, that was going to improve what was happening, they were going to wor- work under an even worse bill. Uh, I, I don't disagree with things that Andy have said. We may look at it just a tad differently. I do. The Mexico government has assured us that they are go- their unions that are in Mexico are actually going to be empowered to do the work that they need to do to make sure that this occurs. Andy may be more skeptical as to whether that's going to happen. I'm going to be, and he will too, we're both going to be making sure that enforcement of this is carried through and that they're funding the enforcement levels in Mexico that are going to be needed to ensure that those issues are being addressed. But, you know, the General Motors, 18 months ago, it'll be two years this August, took a blazer plant. And I would like to have seen it located here in Michigan or at least at Lordstown or Mm. a plant here. And they moved it to Mexico. The workers there, according to an academic study, are making $354 an hour. Our workers can't compete against that. And the other thing that it should do is to raise the wages of those that are working in Mexico. So we're going to have to be very diligent, paying a great deal of attention to what actually happens as a result of this NAFTA bill. But I hopefully and believe that we worked very hard as Democrats. The first bill that got negotiated was not strong enough. And we worked very hard. There were a number of task forces to strengthen it. I used to talk to Bob Lighthouser a minimum of once a week. And I do believe the strengthened NAFTA package that were USMCA that we voted on will make the playing field more level and will raise the wages 
of those in Mexico and keep our jobs here. It does require that 40 40 to 45 percent of parts be made by workers who make at least $16 an hour, which is far less than what most workers make here in the United States and Canada. But it raises wages. In in Canada or in in Mexico, that's far more than what they're making. Um, on the environment issue, on climate change, this has been something that, we, if you've watched the Democratic uh, presidential debates, this has been sort of the key argument among Democrats is whether or not it should have addressed climate change. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I pre- wish it would have been stronger, but it did address environmental uh, regulations. You yeah. know, we've got to do something that is going to – we as a country have a uh, – we as the world, global climate change is real – the question is, how do you address, how do we get to a carbon net neutral uh, society? I've introduced legislation to get there by 2050. Some think that's not strong enough, but that's what the United Nations Climate Change Committee recommended. What's in my bill is what, and by the way, supported by the Sierra Club, the LCV, the National Wildlife, most of uh, the environmental regulations. What it did do, and, you know, interestingly, we see this in this state. We have global climate change and carbon, getting to neutrality and carbon is a very important goal. But industrial environmental issues are very real. We've seen green ooze. We've seen the Detroit banks bill. You come downriver and we have two Superfund sites. We've got Arkema. We've got nuclear waste. We've got... In the Belleville uh, um, U.S. ecology site, we have trash dump sites. So there's a lot of environmental issues. We want our air to be clean, our water to be safe, and the ground to be clean. I do believe that this bill addressed a number of those kinds of environmental issues. we got to do both. And because it wasn't strong enough doesn't mean we're going to not give up. America withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord, which was the, I think, one of the worst things that President Trump did. I want to, you got to do both. Our workers are worried about their jobs. We've got to, we got to, we can and must do both. So you have not been a, a very big fan of these free trade deals, uh, NAFTA, as you said, TPP. Um, I, I'm curious about when you say that it, that NAFTA is to blame for the devastation to manufacturing here in Southeast Michigan. There, there are some at the same time that NAFTA was signed. Of course, automation. That was the same time that automation was taking off as well. Um, the U.S. is actually producing more cars now than before NAFTA, and that's true also in Canada and Mexico. Uh, and a third of auto manufacturing jobs have disappeared since NAFTA was signed, uh, while the same types of jobs have grown in, in Mexico. So, Correct. But fewer than, according to the Peterson Institute for International Economics, fewer than 5% of U.S. workers who've lost their jobs from sizable layoffs uh, can be attributed to rising imports from Mexico. Uh, there's a lot of pushback on the narrative that NAFTA and other free trade deals are to blame for what's happening here. See, I would respectfully disagree. The fact of the matter is, and you've got to take what jobs are connected to it. We close plants here. That we can't build a small car uh, competitively to compete with a small car built in Mexico because of what the cost is and what the what you're paying a worker per hour. But it's not only the OEMs whose production plants have gone down there. It's the supplier chain. And the supplier chain followed them down there. And the loss of jobs in the supplier industry has been very significant, too. And you've got to take that economic 
multiplier into account when we're having this discussion. Now, there are going to be new jobs. We're going to create green jobs, by the way, as we look at the uh, things that we must do to get to carbon net neutrality in this country. Uh, We have to be real that artificial intelligence is going to replace some jobs, but I would argue that we've got to replace old jobs with new jobs. And we have in the past been worried about what change uh, is going to bring about, but we need to do it in a way that assures our labor force still has jobs, and it's what we now label green jobs. Just just to cite one more study, a study by Ball State University said that 80, 87% of American manufacturing jobs have been lost to robots. Only 13% have disappeared, has, have disappeared because of trade. Why do we not talk about automation in the same way that we talk about NAFTA as in terms of its threat to manufacturing? Well, I'm not sure 100% I agree that the amount is that low, and I've seen other studies that don't agree with that. But we do need to talk about diversifying people's work skills. We do talk about uh, making sure we have a trained uh, workforce, that they're getting the skills that they need. So those computers need to have, or those robots need to have people that are going to build them and then fix them. So what's the workforce? We need to make sure we're developing the workforce for the next decade. But we also, quite frankly, we got to bring manufacturing back to this country. I think the last couple of months, I'm going to be introducing legislation on this, that we need to take national security into account as we are also, uh, as federal government's making out bidding decisions. As we look at this coronavirus scare, 90% of the generic drugs that we use in this country are imported from China. We have equipment that is being bidded out to China because it's low bid, and yet we're not quite sure. You've heard it in terms of the telecommunications industry. It's many of the other industries. Should we be having that kind of equipment built overseas, or should we be building it here where we control it, know what's happening to it? We have a nuclear submarine that needs a part that we can't replace the part from an American-made manufacturer. It can has to be built in Japan. That's not smart. We need to, other countries don't allow that. And we need to take that, start to take that into effect. We've got to think about how are we going to bring manufacturing and protect our national security with that manufacturing. I know you have to go, but before you do, uh, I would be remiss to not ask you um, about the way that the 2020 election is shaking out. Um, I'm wondering, for one thing, if you feel like people treat you like you're some sort of oracle after 2016 and what you were saying and warning people about with uh, the possibility of Trump winning Michigan. Um, You know, now that you're seeing this unfold the way that uh, especially Bernie Sanders has performed very well in early states, um, do you? How do you feel about the way that Democrats are positioning themselves in 2020? So I'm not an oracle, <laughs> although I will say that people who didn't believe me last time are now yes. at least asking me what I think and listening to me. That's true. I took a reporter around this weekend who wanted to know how I knew what I did, and he met all the Trump people that I heard from four years ago. Some of the arguments are different now, and— he experienced Washtenaw County and kids, young people, students that were protesting, and, you know, he saw it all. I I am not endorsing in this primary. I remember the tension uh, that distracted us from being focused on what we needed to do, which was to win 
the general election, and I am singularly focused on winning that general election. I'm also committed to changing the primary process because I think these small states, now Nevada does represent at least some more diversity, shouldn't have a disproportionate impact on impacting the outcome of the primary. Every region should have the opportunity to still be competitive and to have those candidates go into their regions, talk about their issues, understand them, and for them to have legitimate input as to who should be the uh, presidential candidate. I think that each candidate is going through its turn to have be to really be people asking questions, looking at scrutinized, quite frankly. Uh, the last 24 hours have probably seen more scrutiny on Senator Sanders than we have seen, uh, quite frankly, the whole time that he has run. Uh, Mayor Bloomberg has had a great deal of scrutiny and number of attacks. So I, I think we got to make sure that Every candidate's been scrutinized. We understand where they stand on the issues. The debates have provided the opportunity. Uh, I, you know, it's a long time between now and March 10th in this state. And I, I suspect if the election had been held today, who would win? But I don't know what the dynamics are going to be in the next two weeks. And those dynamics can truly change. I saw them happening in 216. Everybody thought that Hillary Clinton had the primary sealed. And it was right about now that I really began to know that she, I thought, and I expressed it to people, that I thought she wasn't going to win the primary. So Around the same weeks, time that around, Michigan won the, the primary, or that, not Michigan won, that Bernie Sanders won, won the, the primary. primary. On, on a message, uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, that was uh, very um, anti-free trade, very anti-NAFTA in a lot of ways. Uh, you know that it's interesting Instead how that. Instead of calling in. it anti-free trade, mm. I think we got to talk about issues that matter to working men and women who are worried about losing their job. I'm dealing right now with U.S. Steel that's losing 1,500 jobs, and those jobs are probably never coming back. We're still dealing with the repercussions of General Motors closures of plant. People want it. It's real. People haven't forgotten what happened here in 2008. And they want to make enough money to live in a safe and secure neighborhood. They want to be able to put food on the table, educate their kids. If they're sick, go to the doctor, be able to afford the medicine that they're, they have to take and have a safe and secure retirement. Mm -hmm. That's what we got to remember to talk about issues that matter every day. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, thank you so much for joining me today on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we'll continue discussing the new USMCA trade deal, the agreement between the United States, Canada, and Mexico with Congressman Andy Levin, someone who has been very critical of USMCA. And we want to take your calls. Please tell us, what, what do you think of the new USMCA deal? Uh, do you believe you or someone you know was negatively impacted by NAFTA? Uh, do you work in manufacturing? What would you like to see happen to strengthen manufacturing jobs here in the United States? Give us a call at 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. 
We're talking all hour about trade, about NAFTA and its replacement, rebranding, USMCA, whether or not that rebranding and rewrite of NAFTA, or maybe update, depending on what you, uh, where you might come in at on this issue, uh, is it better than what we had before? And we're talking, we, we just heard from Debbie Dingell, a congresswoman from Southeast Michigan who voted for USMCA. And now we are going to talk with someone in our congressional delegation, a fellow Democrat, who voted against it. Congressman Andy Levin is a Democrat from Bloomfield Township representing Michigan's 9th District. Congressman Andy Levin, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Jake. Happy Punchkey Day. It's yeah, good to be here absolutely. with you. <laughs> so you just heard uh, Debbie Dingell talk about why she supported USMCA. Uh, you, Rashida Tlaib, and Justin Amash were the only members of con- Michigan's congressional delegation to vote against the rewrite. Um, talk uh, about why—I keep saying rewrite, and I, I kind of push back against myself there and say the update to NAFTA. I, I want to hear wh- why you decided ultimately that you couldn't vote for this uh, this rewrite. Well, you're right to struggle with it because it's not a very big change. I just so, did it again. <laughs> yeah, but whatever. Uh, USMCA, NAFTA 1.5, as I called it, NAFTA <laughs> 2.0, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, Jake, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I studied it super hard. I hope I hope Debbie Dingell's right. But uh, I'm afraid and I feel pretty uh, that it's pretty likely that this uh, new uh, NAFTA rewrite will not keep jobs here, uh, that it doesn't do enough to undo the wage suppression system that's very deeply entrenched in the Mexican economy to change things there for for Mexican workers. And until Mexican workers are free to form unions, bargain collectively, have real rights, get rid of these uh, phony protection contracts that are in hundreds of thousands of workplaces there, um, it's just not it's not going to happen. The, the ambassador uh, of Mexico told me that the best estimate is 200,000 workplaces have these protection agreements. In other words, a phony union and a contract that the workers don't even know they have mm. and they never negotiated and they never voted on. And it keeps wages, you know, one, two and three dollars an hour. And it's we, we talk about auto workers and auto parts workers here. But it's industrial bakeries like Nabisco. Go look at your Oreos, folks. They may say H.O. and Mexico on them. Uh, you know, it's it's aerospace. It's a wide range of good middle class American jobs that have gone to Mexico. And I had to vote against it because I'm afraid that Mexico doesn't have the administration, the budget, the ability to fight the corruption that's there. Um, and we and the enforcement mechanisms in USMCA aren't strong enough to really break up that wage suppression system. So yeah, this is this is a major disagreement. Well, or it's it's maybe a trust issue between what you're saying and what Debbie Dingell is saying that she says the the Mexican government has promised that it will make inroads on exactly what you're saying right now to protect workers. And it sounds like she um, is in some ways taking them at their word that they will uh, step up enforcement, that they will um, change the way things are done in Mexico, but you don't buy it. Well, I'll say uh, the Mexican president's name. That was a bit of a controversy (laughs) in a a debate. Uh, uh, You know, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO as he's known. I do have a lot of faith in him, in his intentions, Mm -hmm. and I agree with Debbie about that. There's a couple problems here. Number one, remember, Mexican presidents have one six-year term, like the governor of Virginia or something. That's it. So we have no idea who will be the president or whether they'll even keep this faith or 
believe in this change after a, you know several more years. But the other thing is, what power does one person, even the president of Mexico, have to change this? For example, almost half the governors in the states that need to implement this are still members of PRI, the, the old guard party of Mexico, most tied to these company unions. That is financially, the company unions are almost a part of, of the PRI party. Mm. So it's very complicated. Uh, another example is USMCA um, allows notary pu- notaries public to be the officials overseeing some of these votes and, and that are supposed to happen in workplaces. That system in Mexico is notoriously corrupt. Mm. So it's really, uh, I do agree that he's well-intentioned, but I'm afraid it's not enough to change a whole economic system that's well entrenched in Mexico. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, let's step back a little bit. And as people are tuning in today, workers here in Southeast Michigan, they might think, why are we talking so much about Mexico? Why are we talking about Mexican workers? Why does that matter to me here in Southeast Michigan? Explain to them why that is. Well, you know, the new Mach-E Mustang type thing, the electric vehicle Ford's making, they're making it in Mexico. General Motors, I think Debbie Dingle mentioned that the Blazer's being made there. Jake, I won't buy, however cool that car is, I buy UAW-made cars made in America. GM has increased its production of cars in Mexico by 50% in the last 10 years. (laughs) It's huge. All the car companies are, are increasing capacity in Mexico. So when they say, oh, we have overcapacity here, no, they don't. They're just they're they're shifting their capacity to Mexico, and so the question is, I want how do we keep more of that capacity here, and how do we build more cars here with union labor? I'm all about good jobs in America that you can support a family on. Call me old-fashioned, Jake, but I still believe in that. But when we're talking about protections for Mexican workers specifically, why is that important to American workers? Right. So, uh, you know, workers in uh, the Nabisco workers in Mexico make $1 to $2 an hour. The car uh, auto parts workers make 2 to $3 an hour in Mexico. Some of the assembly workers make 2 to $4 an hour. And their total compensation package isn't even 10 bucks an hour, whereas here it's 30 to $50 an hour. And you can't have a middle-class life here uh, unless, you know, you have a decent wage and decent benefits. So as long as wages and benefits are suppressed in Mexico, we won't have uh, an ability to compete and keep those jobs here. We've got to reduce the incentives for American companies to ship our jobs to Mexico. That's what it's all about. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about this. I talked with uh, with Congresswoman Dingell about this as well, but you and she both agree that NAFTA was a disaster for Southeast Michigan and yes. manufacturing here. But I want, to, I want to just ask you a little bit about what happened with NAFTA. Um, you know, it, it, under, uh, let's see here, what do I want to start with? First of all, uh, the, the U.S. is actually producing more cars now than it was before NAFTA was uh, was in place. And that's same with Canada and Mexico. That's according to, for, to the Center for Automotive Research. Um, and then uh, the Peterson Institute also says that fewer than 5% of workers who have lost their jobs from sizable layoffs, such as when plants have closed down, can be attributed to rising imports from Mexico. Uh, there are a number of studies that show um, there have been some job losses due to trade, but the bulk, the vast majority of job losses since 1994 have been because of robots. What do you say to that? Well, wait a minute. 
what about China? What about Vietnam? What about all the other countries? We have trade deficits with uh, India is just in the news today. We have a huge trade deficit with so many different countries. And uh, so the, the loss of U.S. jobs to other countries, to manufacturing, is undeniable. You could say Mexico's 5% of it, but add up all these countries. We, nobody's making clothes in this country anymore. Nobody's making socks. Nobody's making shoes, hardly. New Balance makes one model or something. I mean, there's very little made here that used to be made here. That's not all because of robots. Those things are all still being made. They're being made in other countries. So that that study is not correct. Also, let me say something about automation. We absolutely need to be thinking about it, worrying about its effect on workers. Automation, miniaturization, robotization, AI, these are all really important issues. I, you know, I used to run the workforce system of this state. I created No Worker Left Behind. We put 162,000 Michigan workers back to school during the Great Recession to study for new degrees and certificates to help them get good new jobs. I'm all for that. But here's the thing. When workers have voice and power in their company, in their workplace, they're not as worried about automation. For example, Sweden, 70% of workers in Sweden have a union. They are a very advanced economy. A worker in a company in Sweden is not saying, oh, my God, don't introduce this new technology. They're saying, yeah, let's get we want to be the most competitive, the most efficient company possible so we can compete and win for our company. Why? Because they have a union and they have a contract that says they're not going to be laid off. They're not going to be fired. They're going to be retrained within their company to do whatever new work is necessary because of that more efficient process. So we can't be scared of change. We have to protect workers' rights and interests and go with the change. After all, we're America. We're supposed to be the, the center of innovation and, and creativity. I, don't you love that about our country? Is that part of your patriotism? Like, yeah, we are the most dynamic economy. We want to hang on to that. But look what's happened in the last since we passed our fundamental labor laws 85 years ago now, the National Labor Relations Act. We're down to six percent of workers in the private sector having a union. We have the greatest uh, disparity of wage wages and wealth in this country. Even 20 years ago, so many of us had real pensions. Those are out the window. What do you pay pension. just to, what, what's a pension? Right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what do you pay to fill a prescription right now? Right. What do you pay to send your kid to college? The problem is that for regular working folks in Oakland, Macomb, Wayne, all across this this state and really across this country, the American dream is receding from view. That's our job in government to make the policies so that people can have the American dream again. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. We're speaking with Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township, representing Michigan's 9th District. We're talking about trade. We're talking about NAFTA and what that has meant for Michigan's economy. And this new update to NAFTA, rebranded as USMCA, uh, is it better than what we had before? Uh, we want to hear from you. What do you think of this new trade agreement? Do you believe that you or someone that you know has been negatively impacted by NAFTA? 
Do you work in manufacturing? Uh, what would you like to see happen to strengthen manufacturing jobs here in the United States? What can we do to, to make sure that we are actually building things here in Michigan and, and America? Um, are you someone who welcomes free trade and feel like NAFTA and other trade deals get unfairly trashed by politicians? We want to hear from you. Give us a call at 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. I want to go to Watts in Fraser. Watts, welcome to Detroit Today. Great topic. Hi, and thanks. Um, yeah, there's a number of things. First of all, uh, I was in manufacturing plant, and they uh, closed uh, the d- department, went to Mexico. It was horrible uh, for the workers and for the area. Also, too, how much uh, uh, taxes were lost for the city, the county, the state, et cetera, et cetera, and the, and the, and the country. Also, too, the opioid deaths go up 85% in a recent university study uh, after, within five years after a manufacturing plant closes. It's just horrible. And, and Watts, I'm curious, uh, what, what do you blame for, for that trend? Uh, the hor- horrible uh, policies. It was anti-worker. The uh, union... The trade policies? Uh, yeah. Uh, the... Uh, the unions weren't brought to the the table for the discussion. It was all uh, governments taking the corporate dollars was the was the big incentive, and a lot of baloney. I mean, some people actually believe it, but it's it's, it's just a horrible crock. Yeah. And both Andy and uh, Debbie have excellent points. Yeah, Watts, I really appreciate the call today, uh, Congressman Levin. Uh, react. I think that we hear that those sentiments a lot here in Southeast Michigan. You know, Watts is so right on. The impact of closing these plants is huge on our communities. He's right about this very uh, careful university study that just came out that showed a direct link between the closing of these good these these places that provide good middle class jobs with increase in in overdoses and deaths uh, related to opioids and also the devastation of the tax base. I mean, when you've got our so many of cities and towns, Frazier, Roseville, East Point, Warren, you know, all throughout my district, Madison Heights. I mean, when industrial facilities close. It hits the school district. It hits the the tax base of the city or township. And so it's a real blow to really the fabric of our society. And we need to have trade policies and tax policies that encourage companies to stay here. You know that Trump's tax bill that was passed around Christmas of 2017, if you're a company, you're taxed. 50% 50% less if your manufacturing op- operation is in another country than if it's in this country. I mean, we're just inviting people to send their factories out of the country. It's wrong, Jake, and we can fix it with better trade policies and tax policies. Well, you talked about your district. Uh, President Trump actually made a stop in your district. Yes, sir. Uh, in Macomb County, actually, on his USMCA victory tour of sorts, um, what did you make of that? And what does it have you worried about how this will affect, especially the election in 2020, and how people in, in your district, especially Macomb County, which went uh, red for the first time in a very long time, um, you know, how they'll react to this rebranding of NAFTA and maybe see it as something fundamentally different than what we had before? Well, don't sell the voters of Macomb County short. I'm not you know, trying to I, do that. You no, know, no, yeah. I know, but I'm telling you, they are really smart. And 
Um, I think a lot of times, so, you, uh, you know, I, the Ninth District is Southeast Oakland and all of Southern Macomb County and including all of Warren. And that's where uh, the president was. Um, you know, I think people sometimes make a mistake when they say Macomb County is the ultimate swing county in the ultimate swing state. That's true. But being swingy doesn't mean they're hovering in the middle, putting their finger up in the breeze. Sure. They want authenticity. They want someone who's going to really straight up advocate their economic interest. And President Trump said, you know, I think he sort of said he would do that. But I think the bloom is off the rose so he can come here all he wants. But the fact is that the Warren transmission plant is closed. The fact is that we have not seen in ink all the manufacturing jobs come back and there's no way the USMCA is going to bring them back. We would need much stronger trade policies and tax policies and a whole other array of policies to help people achieve the American dream again. He's going in the opposite direction in terms of cutting Social Security, cutting Medicaid, cutting Medicare. Uh, resisting any increase in the in minimum wage. For God's sakes, the minimum wage is the same it's been for for many years. Can you give the working class a break here? And he, all the rhetoric and bluster aside, Macomb County voters see through that, and they want an, a government that really will advance their economic interests. I think as long as we talk to them about that in an honest and bold way, they will vote Democratic in November. I want to get one more call here uh, before we break. Uh, Dan in Detroit. Uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, just one little bit of bright news, I guess, about automation. Uh, when the Model 3 came out, it was a very rough uh, rollout. Tesla uh, Model 3, they yeah. Re- yeah, they re- yeah the, sorry, the Tesla Model 3, because uh, they relied too much on robots, um, and it was kind of a disaster. So Elon actually ripped out all the robots, and there's pictures of them in a in a dump, you know, in a, in a dump, uh, and replaced them with humans because uh, what they were doing was just too complicated for robots. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, going to continue. I'm sure they're going to invent robots that are, you know, even better. But at least for now, there's there's some breathing room. Mm. Uh, thank, thank you so much for the comment, Dan. That's an interesting uh, tidbit there, and it's sort of an interesting uh, sort of look to the future here, Congressman Levin. Um, as technology changes, as cars change, as uh, you know, the the way that we make cars changes. Um, what does that mean for places uh, like Southeast Michigan, in your opinion, uh, that have sort of built its manufacturing infrastructure around the old combustion engine car? And do you think that the automakers are doing what they need to do to keep jobs here? Well, I think Dan's point is great that in in manufacturing, it's an interplay between humans and robots. You know, um, I do have to say that my, my my late mother's favorite uh, field trip. We, I got there's four of us kids, you know, so she went on a lot uh, as a mom in Berkeley, Michigan. And uh, our favorite together was when we went to the Rouge plant, and there were thousands and thousands of people there. This I'm a little quite a bit older than you, Jake. So this is like in the <laughs> around not 19, as much as you think, <laughs> 1970 or something. Uh, and and car plants are very different than they were mm-hmm. then. Many fewer people working there because of automation. So I do think going forward, Dan's right, that companies have to have that balance. But when you, well, the issue you raise is really important. I am pushing hard for our auto companies to be at the very forefront on both 
autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles. This is not a partisan issue. Uh, Debbie Dingle and Dan Kildee and all of us are working in the same direction. Uh, But here's the thing. We need an interplay between government policy and private sector to get this done. So I introduced the Electric Vehicle Freedom Act a couple weeks ago. The bill would very simply tell the Secretary of Transportation to design and implement a national system of high-speed electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Mm, the superstar charging stations. Supercharging stations yeah. that are uh, work for all different models across the whole national highway system. Because no matter how many models GM, Ford, Chrysler, or other companies make, people won't be able to buy them if they can't go visit grandma in Omaha or whatever. We need to be able to road trip. That's the ultimate American experience. And so we, you know, there's a big role for government to play in putting the infrastructure in place so that our great companies can make vehicles. Let me tell you, if you haven't driven an electric vehicle, they are fun. The I, the, the pickup is awesome. It's really, it's it is fun. I was not expecting it to be fun. It was. They're like rockets, man. <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township, representing Michigan's ninth district. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, here on Jake. Today. It's great to be with really you. Really appreciate it. All right, happy Punchki Day, everyone. Absolutely. Uh, coming up, we'll just keep this discussion going about the USMCA trade deal and take a look at the agreement with Michigan State University economist Charles Ballard. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. We're talking trade, we're talking NAFTA and USMCA, the new NAFTA, as some people call it, the rebranding of NAFTA, as many other people call it as well. And um, again, we want to hear from you throughout the rest of this hour. You know, if you feel like you are have been impacted by NAFTA in one way or another since we had that deal in place in the early 90s. Uh, or if you work in manufacturing, we would love to hear from you. What do you think needs to happen to keep manufacturing jobs here in the United States or bring them back to places like here in Southeast Michigan? The number on the lines is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. And right now, I want to bring someone into the conversation who can give us a little more context about what these deals have meant for for the economy in America and right here in Michigan. Charles Ballard is a professor of economics at Michigan State University, and uh, he joins me now to talk about that. Uh, Charles Ballard, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me on. I don't know how I thought that, you know, having an hour on this subject would do it justice, but, you know, that's just how it usually goes with things like this. Yeah. But it's, um, a, big, it's a big topic, that's for sure. Lots of tentacles uh, reaching out on this one. But I'm curious, uh, we just heard from two members of Michigan's congressional delegation who voted two different ways on the USMCA rewrite of NAFTA. But they do agree on one thing they say that NAFTA was a disaster for manufacturing jobs in Michigan. Are they right? You know, I I think that disaster is way too strong. In fact, I I think um, it's it's a uh, it's really a mix. Look, um, some jobs have been lost, but if you look at the supply chain, especially in the auto industry between Michigan and Ontario, that's not a disaster. Michigan is one of the leading export states in the country as a fraction of our economy. And th- those exports, a-, a lot of them are to Canada. 
Um, and, and so if we were to close the door, if we were to, uh, you know, put up a put up a big wall at uh, at the Detroit River and at the Blue Water uh, Bridge at, at Port Huron, would that make our economy better? No. Uh, was NAFTA perfect? I don't think it was. But um, there's a tendency in these conversations to greatly overemphasize the losses from trade and to forget about the gains from trade. On that, yeah, I, I cited two studies to both uh, both of the, the members of Congress here, one from the Peterson Institute that said fewer than 5% of U.S. workers who have lost jobs from sizable layoffs can be attributed to rising imports from Mexico. Uh, and then there was a study from Ball State University that said 87% of manu- American manufacturing jobs have been lost to robots only 13% by comparison have disappeared because of trade. They both said that they think those studies are wrong. Uh, what is your understanding? Um, it, you know, I think we could quibble about the exact numbers, but I think um, the the general uh, statement that um, technological change has been much more important for job losses in manufacturing than trade, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, uh, there used to be uh, in in Michigan, uh, I know a, a friend who back in the 60s worked in a Ford factory, and I asked him, Bill, what did you do? And he said, well, I fastened the same four bolts 107 times an hour. All of those jobs are gone. And it's not because of Mexico or Canada or China or anything else. It's because of technological change. I, I think uh, if if you were to um, rip out our trade agreements, you would be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, you know, how many Americans have been harmed by trade? Those who have maybe lost a job. How many are those? Uh, there may be a few percent of our population, certainly no more than five or ten percent. The vast majority of our population are better off from trade. But if you're better off from trade, you're better off because there's stuff at, in Walmart that's cheaper than it would otherwise be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're worse off from trade because you've lost your job, that's a bigger deal. And so the pain is concentrated. And what I think we have not done a good job, and, and I heard Congressman Levin saying some things along these lines, we haven't done a good job of helping those who are adversely affected. I mean, the, the gains from trade are much larger overall than the losses from trade. But the losses, if you lost your job, that's a that's a huge loss for you. And I think we've done not nearly enough to provide income support for those who are av- adversely affected, to try to um, encourage or force companies to find ways to, to do what they need to do without laying off workers. He, uh, uh, Congressman Levin gave the example of uh, some, some companies in Sweden where they um, are committed to not just uh, laying off the workers and saying, well, tough luck, mm. but rather to trying to help them retrain. It, I think we've done not nearly enough of that. Yeah. Uh, I really want to get a, a personal uh, sort of perspective on this. Uh, I want to take Bill in Macomb County. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today. What do you have to say? Uh, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, as I was telling uh, the young lady uh, when I first called in, um, I'm a lifelong Macomb County resident. Um, I worked for a Tier 1 supplier uh, back in the late 90s until the crash in 2008. Uh, moved out of the state in 2008 to pursue a, a different career path. And in 2015, moved back to Michigan and started working for a company that moves uh, and relocates machinery. Um, over the past four years, I have been to 
uh, numerous cities, numerous plants uh, in Mexico uh, for the sole purpose of uh, taking machinery uh, from here in southeast Michigan and reinstalling it at plants in Mexico. Um, and I just wanted to share a couple observations because I know that there's not a lot of people uh, in your audience who have had that experience. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, first, no. yeah. First of all, um, my opinion of why this has happened, why so many of these high-paying manufacturing jobs have, have left uh, Michigan, um, it's not just Michigan, um, and it's not just Mexico, because the companies that are building plants in Mexico and transferring jobs and putting new jobs, not only in Mexico, but in other areas of the world, uh, they're putting these plants in what we would commonly refer to as third world countries. Mm. Yeah. And, they're do- and they're doing that for a very specific reason, because they can take advantage of the extremely low wages that they can pay the people that work in these factories. Sure. Bill, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but we're almost out of time, and I really wanted to give uh, Charles Ballard an opportunity to respond with how your experience uh, squares with what he uh, you know, sort of looks at when it comes to the effects of trade. Uh, absolutely, what Bill says is is right. I mean, that's a part of the picture, and it's and it's and it's not a uh, it's it's not a, a, a pretty picture. Um, but again, I I I want to emphasize that trade is a two way street. Uh, American workers, um, e- America exports way over two trillion dollars a year of goods, and every one of those dollars is attached to a worker whose job is supported by those that international trade and american consumers benefit from having lower cost goods that are produced in other countries the the argument um that we should cut off trade with with canada or with china or with mexico is actually it's uh, it's no do- different from saying that we should t- cut off trade uh with ohio or indiana mm-hmm. one of the great advantages of the united states is that we are the lar- world's largest free trade area you can move goods freely from one place to another and of course no economist says that there should be no regulation no economist says that we should have free trade in nuclear warheads and toxic waste but um uh, on balance, um, trade has been an engine for growth uh, worldwide and in the United States. And uh, and so I hope we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, Charles Ballard, uh, I really wish we had a lot more time to talk about this, but unfortunately we're out of time. Thank you so much, uh, Charles Ballard, Professor of Economics at Michigan State University, for joining us here at Detroit Today. You're welcome. My pleasure. And uh, please, uh, you in the audience, please join me and uh, News Director Jerome Vaughn tonight at Hopcat in Detroit. We will be watching the debate. We will be having a little trivia and having a little fun with that. So please uh, join me as we uh, do that tonight at 7 at Hopcat. This is WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to music, news, and conversation. Join us tomorrow.